back for another Tuesday. This is Nuance at Scala, and this is where we have great discussions on what's happening locally and bring on some exceptional guests. And this week is no different. We've got our co-host with us, though, Jay Carter. How you doing, Jay? Doing all right. Still in that allergy season, but uh, doing okay. How about yourself? Did we get your laptop fixed? Yes, I did. I was actually surprised. Um, you know, my battery was swelling and it was crazy. And uh, I had to take it into the Apple store, but they had it back to me. I had it within like two days. It was mailed off and, and back to me in my hands. So I was real surprised at how quick they did it. Yeah, for those who don't know, Jay is out there in Japan and he's the chair of BLM Tokyo. He's also known as Timid in the hip hop world. So juggling a few different things. But I'm glad you're back in commission. Yeah, back back in, in action, putting in putting in work and making uh, this computer work harder than it should. So <laughs> there you go. And our very special guest this week, we have Paul Nichols, a good friend of mine who ran for governor in uh, his past primary in New York. So we'll talk about that and everything he's up to. How are you doing, Paul? Uh, great to see you again, Mike, and great to be here with Jay. Um, I didn't know you realized Jay was in uh, in Japan. So shout out to that, man. Really, really cool. If you were over here in New York, that heat wave that we have coming up this week would burn out those allergies. So yeah, <laughs> we right. got to here. It's great well, to be Japan, home. Japan is no slouch when it comes to temperature. Um, wow. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty humid summers. Um, but, um, you know, it's, I, I lived in Tallahassee, Florida for a number of years and none of these places can play with Tallahassee, Florida. So <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> you're ready for it, Jay. Real nice, man. So you're the I'm one standing on all this, all this heat in New York. I was wondering what's coming from. It's you, Jay. We found it. Found the cold. Yeah, I'm. I'm good. You know, I remember living in New York. New York had some some summers, but I mean now, you know, of course the heat wave. It's it's kicked up a notch, but yeah, I was still okay. I was still okay. Nice, nice, nice. Now it's great to be here with you, Jay. Great here to be with you, Mike. Man, again, me and Mike. We go back and so i'm really great uh really grateful to be here with you amazing audience and i took a look at again some of the podcast stuff that you guys have been doing you know cnn they better watch out anderson yeah. Cooper, those folks they better watch out man you you're coming for them, mike this is really great stuff and really great content man thank you and hey give them a call give them a call we we would love to do a show there give them a call i was gonna say Around these parts, CNN can mean two different things because we've got the hip hop connection as well. So I don't know if we're talking CNN or Capone Noriega. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Hey, give them a call. We can get on the next album. So let's yeah, do that. We'll next them, right, we'll take both of them. <laughs> yeah, no Shout problem. Out to Queens. <laughs> Definitely. So we so, like to offer something on the light side. I think you mentioned uh, Netflix is up to its old tricks again. Yeah, man. So Netflix just recently, I guess they just recently um, announced earnings and some other news. And so there been a long rumored uh, ad supported tier that they were going to come out with. And now they've confirmed it. Either it's going to drop at the end of this year or it's going to be sometime in uh, 2023. But they're they're not looking to raise or put ads in the in the standard Netflix format. They're going to open up a tier for people who don't mind ads and are willing to pay uh, a little bit less on their subscription service and would have ads. And I don't know what that means as far as movies. Hopefully it doesn't mean in the middle of your movie, there's going to be an ad pop up. I'm hoping it's just going to be in between maybe 
in between the movies when you go to watch the next one or in, in between episodes of something, a TV show, maybe they'll put them in, in between the, in the episodes themselves. Uh, I haven't seen any confirmation on that, but you know, what are you thinking about that? Would you go for the ad supported tier on Netflix? I mean, that's how Hulu operates. I don't like it. I think part of the benefit of watching something on Netflix is not having that. Like I can watch a series now and just go straight through and you don't deal with the commercials or ads, right? That's the benefit of paying for it. I mean, it reminds me of HBO, not HBO Max or streaming, just regular HBO. Like the model was you were paying a premium price for it, but you didn't have to deal with the commercials. Right. That's what we're expecting on a service like this. But but that's not going away. So that's that service won't change. You can still have that, your regular, what you're paying for. You won't have ads on anything. It's just for people who may not be, want to pay that $9.99 uh, a month or whatever it is um, and are willing to, to watch ads, you know, they'll pay something cheaper. I don't know, whatever, the, they haven't given a price point, but, you know, it's say. Free. Right, it's not free with ads. There's still. No, yes. yeah, yeah, it's like, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, six ninety nine or $3.99. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like Probably that. Probably comparable Peacock, to Hulu. If I'm not mistaken, Peacock does something similar, uh, but I don't like that model. I think if you're paying for it, you should get the content right. with the ads. Right. So, well, you know, Netflix has been kind of uh, hurting these past few years. I mean, they were, I mean, they're still the biggest, but uh, there was really no competition for a long time. And then now everybody's got a streaming service. You know, um, and then not only that, uh, with Disney bringing out their streaming service, they're, of course, going to pull their content from Netflix. And that's all the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies. They bought Fox Studios. so That's all the Fox stuff. Uh, Amazon has their streaming service and they bought MGM last year. So they're going to pull all MGM movies. And so Netflix is, you know, going to be left with a smaller pool. And so they're losing revenue. They lost about 200,000 subscribers um, this past year or something like that. So. I saw someone say, well, with all these streaming services out there now, there should be a service where you can just pay a monthly fee and then get a bunch of them in a bundle. And somebody responded, that's cable. Now you're going back to cable all over again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's it's crazy. Paul, you gonna would you, would you go for the ad-supported tier? Look, all that's going to do is have my binging from – three o'clock in the morning with those extra ads, send it up to now like five o'clock in the morning. So, um, you know, I'd have to probably try to pass on that one. Um, you know, I'd pay a little bit, play a little bit more so that if in the middle of my binging on stranger things, um, you know, it's not going to add an extra half an hour uh, to that, you know, to enter inter, inter series programming. But um, I get it where, you know, you know, there are a lot of folks that, you know, they're, they're feeling the price point when you're talking about the everyday average person that, you know, once upon a time, $9 a month or $10 a month wasn't a big deal. When you have like 10 of those piling up, you know, if you, you'll save a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, it becomes a little bit of an appeal. So you know, I, 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 it, it's kind of like a win-win for the advertisers that are trying to get their content in front of folks and their products in front of folks and the services in front of folks. And it does allow for uh, Netflix to draw in some new folks that, again, that $10 price point may be a little bit too high for them. Um, and some in some instances, it may be even going a little bit higher. So I get it for me personally, 
you know, I, I'm just gonna, it's just gonna kill my binging thing all, all the way over. I'm gonna, I always say one more episode and then like five episodes later, it's five o'clock in the morning and I have to be up at six o'clock that day. So there it is. Yeah. Hey. With YouTube TV, I was looking into that at one point, but it's very, or it was very expensive. Yeah. It makes sense. It was like having cable again. I mean, we, I thought the purpose was to try to save money by cutting the cord and going streaming and all that stuff. But if you're paying like 50 bucks a month to get some basic channels, plus let's say you have Netflix and something else. Well, now you have a, an expensive cable plan. That's right. It's a cable bill all over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the same thing is with YouTube. I mean, you know, you get it for free, but you have the, you have the ads, which again, as much as they can make it as less intrusive as possible, you know, could still allow for you to have maximum entertainment enjoyment. But, you know, sometimes they come in right at that climax and it's like, oh man, I was, I was really enjoying that. And then now I'm hearing about the paper towel that I need to pick up. <laughs> so. Yeah. And those that uh, YouTube ads are getting more and more intrusive. Like, you know, now on mobile, it's like, it's like two ads before you get to the video. Yeah. And there's a multiple in in the video. It's just, it's, you know, it's going to force, I think it's going to force some people to start using more ad blockers and, and things like that. Right. 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 And, and it's, I, get, I was going to say, you don't want to get in and, and kind of destroy the user experience. Right. You know, at the same, while you're getting your, your, you know, revenue. So. Crazy. You know, I was just watching something about we were talking about music before uh, the algorithms now and how all this stuff plays out, how I think it was DJ Premier actually saying that they purposely make songs to be a lot shorter now because they want to avoid the skips. Right. And I think the algorithm rewards you if, if more listeners play the whole song, or let's say 75 percent of the song versus just you know the first half or, or less. So they want to make the songs as short as possible so that people can get through them quicker and not skip them. Right. It's, yeah. crazy. it's like, you know, everything that we're doing, all of the media that we're consuming is really being uh, dictated by the algorithm and, and just, you know, how how it's presented to us. That's it's affecting what we take in as, as well, because because it. it it, you know, it has a plays a role in what's being created now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what they have, too, is like some of these uh, advertisers, depending on how much they pay, like you can't even skip over the ad. So it's like you're stuck in there for like that 15, 30 seconds. Um, and and I'm, I, I find myself searching for that skip and, I, and, and I'm locked in. I can't go anywhere. Uh, and then, you, you know, you end up seeing the whole thing. And so, you know, to the extent that you know, there, there is a balance between, you know, them still having to meet their, their revenue quotas and then trying to entice other new subscribers coming in. You don't want, you don't want to kill that, 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 that user experience. And, and for a majority of the folks that, you know, now getting their, their, their music off of YouTube, um, that's, that's, that's now the thing. Um, I, I have some folks, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should be saying this, cause I don't know if it's legal or not, but a lot of folks are downloading all this stuff from, from YouTube, YouTube to MP3. And then they're just loading up their devices with, uh, with, with music from, from YouTube. And I know YouTube is aware that this stuff is happening and they're trying to at least make sure that they can, you know, still recover and then, you know, be able to still have, uh, uh you know, those revenue streams coming in. Netflix yeah. can read the writing on the wall as well. 
if you don't stay ahead of the curve, you end up like blockbuster video where, you know, I, some of your audience may be a little bit on the younger side, like what's blockbuster video? You know, once upon a time, people had to go to like a brick and mortar store to, you know, to rent movies and stuff like that, but they didn't stay ahead of the curve. And so I remember when Netflix was just a mail-in CD service where, you know, you 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 ordered the CD or the DVD of the movie that you wanted, you got it, and then you can mail it back with no late fees. You could have it for like a month. You know, Blockbuster, if you had it late for like 10 minutes, they were charging all kind of extra money. So they never stayed ahead of the curb. So I think this is, you know, Netflix's way of trying to stay ahead of the curb, trying to stay relevant, as you have so many other, as Jay was saying, so many other streaming services, you know, trying to take a bite out of their big pie. Sure. YouTube not only is aware that that's happening, they thrive off of it, right? That's where they generate their revenue. It's from, if you want to call it illegal or pirated material, you know, copyrighted material, it really shouldn't be on there, but that's where they get the most of their traffic from. And there's a whole court case over it. I think it might have been a Star Wars movie or some big, big movie, right, that was uploaded to YouTube. And the movie studio said, hey, YouTube is well aware that this is happening. They're making money off of this. They're doing nothing to stop it. And a whole legal framework was created where it was like, all right, YouTube might know that it's happening in the abstract, but in order for it to be actionable, it has to have evidence of a specific instance of it happening and not taking it down once it's brought to their attention. So, That's right. Like they look That's the other right. way until someone points it out and basically hangs it in front of their face and you, you better take this one down. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. That's what prompted the whole content ID system. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That right. scans, right. scans, uploads algorithmically for copyrighted, uh, you know, audio or whatever, and, and either flags it or takes it down. Um, and they've kind of some way dealt with that. As as a hip hop enthusiast, I like that better because hip hop was always based on sampling, right? Taking music that right. was out there and making it better, making it our own. And instead of it just coming down automatically from being flagged, I like the idea of allowing it to stay up, but giving some of that revenue to the copyright owner. That's on the right. Correct. It's Correct. Absolutely. 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 And like you said, to them knowing that this was happening, I think it was a the the movie Morbius that came out where they deliberately like let it stay up there because it was so terrible in the, in the theaters that they they wanted folks to pirate it so that they could see it which is you know it, hey look if whatever you got to do to get get it in front of folks and right. and that's what happens a lot of time even now the the like the major labels will um, you know you've got not only the music video but you've got just the audio uh, release that goes up on YouTube um, and it's more about getting how many eyes can get on it versus how many sales it's going to happen. You know, it's, it's right. Right. It's right, right. selling the music and it's more about sell. It's more about getting that audience. Cause once you got the audience, then you can sell anything to that, to that. Right. Page. But the right. quality is not the same. And maybe I'm a bit no. of a file, but you know, compare a wave file, compare a CD for that matter to a YouTube stream. I mean, you can really discern the difference. It's not- You can. I've never been able to hear that difference, but yep. I know you, you've you always been yeah, able to hear magic that. magic ears, Mike. Mike. Mike's got, got the magic ears. Wow. <laughs> to me, it's, it's a big difference. I'm not saying YouTube sounds bad. I'll listen to stuff off YouTube for convenience, but the quality of it doesn't compare at all to me. Yeah, I don't, I, I've never been able to pick that difference. I think you are also one of those who could pick, pick the difference between the the regular CD quality type of MP3, which is like 128 kbps versus oh, the yeah. 312 
and you can you can just very clearly hear the difference very clearly also what's on the radio can you hear that on the radio it's usually very over compressed and then they try to make it as loud as possible but it almost gets distorted so like cd quality versus radio quality is a big difference too yeah yeah that's why that's why I like trying to say that's why I, I, I like sending my stuff to you to mix because it just <laughs> I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have those ears. <laughs> well, let's get into a serious topic, I guess. We spoke about the stuff I like talking about this, but people want to hear something more serious. In fact, Jay, on that note, someone commented on YouTube was on one of the shorts, one of the videos that they didn't right. think the question that we put out was serious enough or important enough. I thought it was pretty important. Right. It was about our, our most recent poll about whether or not uh, basically we should have open primaries, um, you know, where whether, you know, people that are not registered to a party should be able to vote in that party's primary. And one of the responses that I got that we got on the channel was like, you know, you know, this is this is a stupid question. You're wasting people's time. Um, so I just want to say, you know, first of all, we bring up the questions because these are proposals that have been made. You know, um, people are talking about these things and it may sound like a silly question to some people, but um, there was actually things that's being talked about. And there's uh, like 24 states that have, you know, some form of an open primary. So it's things that's actually happening right now. So, um, yeah, well, after I put that response in, it seems like that person deleted their comment. So, right. Well, I'm curious as to why that person would think it was a stupid question. Is it because they think the answer is obvious? Is it because they think there are more important things that we should be focusing on? I mean, because I think that no matter what issue you think is important, that can speak to it, right? Because it, it affects who gets into office and how people get into office, who then make the policies that I'm sure you do care about. I mean, if you think that's a stupid one, well, what's not stupid? Whatever you think is not stupid, I'm sure is going to be affected by how we like people in the first place, right? Right, right. I think and, and it, you know, he didn't say why, you know, what, what you know, the reason behind it. I was hoping a, a response back from to say, oh, well, this is what I was thinking, you know, but apparently not. But um, I mean, it's still on the surface. I can I can understand how someone might think it's a um, kind of a stupid question or a foregone conclusion, because ultimately and we've we've had that discussion that primaries are essentially um, elections for the party itself. It's not a public thing. It's for members of that party. And so for saying, oh, should they be open for people that aren't in the party? It kind of sounds like, uh, you know. Oh, that's the way you take it. Okay. I actually don't disagree with that. And I, yeah, I, I kind of think along those same lines, but I assumed that the person saying it's stupid is saying that because they assume that you should be allowed to do it. It could be. I don't know. They deleted it. We'll never know. <laughs> Yeah. And that just shows you the support on both sides of it. In fact, my poll 50 50 and I was so annoyed because I was trying to get a decision one way or the other. It was like so close the whole way through. And I put up a post last night on Facebook and on Twitter saying my poll is tied. Someone break the tie and it was broken. And then more people voted and it ended up at 50 50 again. And <laughs> I guess that's just one of those things where it's, it's kind of split down the middle. But what I find is that you have people from all sides of the political spectrum who support this. Like Sal Albanese was on last week and he was saying that this is a way to make the system more moderate. But then you have people on the left who want independents who are, are not Democrats because they think that the Democratic Party is too conservative for them and they want to be able to vote. Like the Bernie supporters want to be able to vote in the primary. So it's not really 
broken down by partisan lines here. Right. What do you, what do you, what's your take on it, Paul? Yeah, I, I'm interestingly enough as a registered Democrat, I'm a hundred percent for open primaries where I grew up in Southeast Queens. It's heavily democratically registered. And so I feel bad for my friends and family members who are registered in independent party, registered even as the evil Republicans. And again, I'm using that sarcastically because Republicans aren't evil. They're, they are absolutely um, as vital to the system and vital to the threat of our democratic uh, process that we need to you know, ensure that we have strengthened. So when election season comes around and in a place like Southeast Queens, the election is essentially won in the primary. And so it's not fair to those individuals that would like to have a say in who represents them, who goes to Albany, who goes to Washington, to be able to say, well, you know what, I, I want a representative that reflects my values. So where I do hear the, 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 the arguments of sabotage of the Democratic Party, watering down of the Democratic Party, it's an issue of, of basic fairness. And so, you know, to, to be able to follow the lead of other states that recognize the fairness of bringing in more voices to make sure that representatives adequately reflect not just that party, but that district. And that's what that's what it's about. It's it shouldn't be we have, we have to get to the place where we recognize the reality of what we're of what we're doing when we have districts that are heavily democratic again in southeast queens it's like 10 to 1 a thousand to one registered democrats to republicans where a republican doesn't stand a chance in november so you you should uh, essentially give them a voice in in june when those primaries are let them be able to 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 have a voice because that representative is speaking for everyone in that district and not just the democratically uh, you know, registered and enrolled members. So it's a little controversial as a Democrat, but I'm not your average run-of-the-mill Democrat. Well, you but make a compelling isn't that with the general? Isn't that what the general election is for? Yeah, well, the general election is for that if you actually have a competitive general election. In Southeast Queens, you don't even see Republicans on the line. They, the Democrats largely go unopposed. They have no Republican running against them. And when you understand the reality of the dynamics of any given district, you can either say, well, we're for the party being entirely empowered or we're for the people being empowered and feel choices are empowering people. And so that's, you know, it's, 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 it's recognized in reality. If we had purple districts that are more fair and more balanced, by all means, we can close the primaries and have the parties duke it out amongst themselves. And then we all go to November like we do in presidential elections and statewide well, elections to do that. I've, I've got some questions now because I think you do make a compelling case for your position, but you keep mentioning fairness. And I agree we should try to make the system more fair. But number one, who told people to register as something other than Democrat? I mean, no one made them register to a different party. So if we're talking about fairness. My second question, which is really related, is why are we punishing Democrats or why are we changing the system in an area where Democrats are doing better? You're saying if it's a more balanced district, then don't do it, but do it in a district where Democrats win. Is that fair to say that we're going to handicap the system essentially 
because Democrats have such an advantage in an area. And conversely, there are districts in, in around the country where Republicans have a huge advantage. And, and New York State even has no acceptance of that. So if a Republican is doing very well because it's a very Republican area, should we handicap the system against them by letting Democrats vote in their primary? Yeah, and, it's, and that's a great, great response. The beautiful thing is that when you open up their primaries, it goes both ways. So it wouldn't be just Democrats in theory, handicapped, you can have Democrats tampering and playing around in Republicans or independent uh, uh, elections. They could do the same thing. So you essentially open the system up so that way the the fairness argument happens. Now, when you look at how open primaries have played out in other states, you really don't see this kind of you know boogeyman that's out there. Uh, you know, seeing all of this 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 real election tampering and watering down of, of primary candidates. You really don't see that happening. So it's it ultimately ends up being a straw man argument to try to say, well, these these worst case scenarios are happening. Well, in the in the states that allow it, you, you really don't see that happening. But what you do see happening is folks that, you know, for whatever reason or another, because the dynamics of party platform shifts so quickly, one moment you have a, a Republican platform or a Democratic platform that perfectly aligns with who I, the individual voter, believe in. But then you may have someone that may completely disagree with an AOC and they or Bernie Sanders and they swing the party way left. And wait, now all of a sudden I wake up, this is I'm a registered Democrat, but I don't really truly believe now in the platform that the Democratic Party is espousing for. So, you know. You could now bounce and register as something else. And then when they come back, you can bounce back and register. So we could play that game and that that could be one way of addressing it. Or we could just say, you know, we're going to recognize the reality that party platforms can change, that party leadership can change. And we understand the dynamics that it is should be a largely inter-party thing. But when the balances of fairness versus the balances of preserving party purity are all you know leveled out we could say it's about party purity over getting the best candidate or, or over best representation that speaks to all areas of the district that's an absolute thing that we cannot weigh for me personally i'll as a democrat i'll sacrifice a little bit of my party purity so that even some of my independent brothers and sisters, my Republican brothers and sisters, who in some instances I strongly disagree with, they should still have a say in who will speak for them uh, in, in, in terms of the very real issues of housing and the term, very real issues of education, very real issues of healthcare, very real issues of crime and how those play out in the individual uh, districts, where money is going in those individual districts. You have Republicans and independents who have real organizations that get stiffed and shafted because it's a Democrat that's in there in office and they're just going to completely ignore those Republican interests. I've seen it. You're, you're in a, I remember once upon a time, the Senate uh, 14th Senatorial District included all of the Rockaway Peninsula, where you have a part of the peninsula that's heavily Republican, and you can easily have a Democrat that will ignore all of their Republican, um, you know, all of the Republican side of that peninsula and just do things that ultimately represent Democratic interests. Do I think that's fair? Absolutely not. But the right thing to do is to open it up and say, 
yeah, we could, which one is more important to us, party purity or being allowed to have regular people have a say in what their representative does for their districts? Yeah, in a way, it's almost like you're getting rid of parties. I mean, you can still have parties as organizations, as clubs, if you will, but parties as we know them now would really cease to exist under a completely open system. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, it does allow more people to access the political process in a way that they can't now. I mean, you can't really argue that, especially in an area like New York City, which is so polarized. And, and, and you know, as I said before, other places are polarized in the other direction. So it's not just a one way thing. Right. But right. This allows more people to access the process. I mean, that is definitely a benefit of it, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, there are, you know, balances to be made here, pros and cons. You can, you can debate it all day. But that is one of the benefits. Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, Absolutely. And one question that would, that would would linger there, and we kind of addressed it in the in the pre-talk, is how would that work for the the people voting? Would they get more than one vote? Let's say they want to, to cast a vote in the de- Democratic primary and they want to cast a vote in the in the Republican primary and in the independent primary. Does that work that way? Or they just get to do only one and they have to choose only one per per primary? Yeah, I would absolutely have it where you only get one, essentially one bite at the apple. And so you would pre-register with which party you're going to intend to vote for, uh, for that upcoming primary. And you have to and you have to lock in and stick with that particular primary. So that way we still respect one of our fundamental principles of one person, one vote in the country. And so if you are in a heavily Republican district and uh, you're registered Democrat, you just pre-register that I'm going to register. I'm going to. I intend to vote in the Republican primary this year, and then you're foreclosed from voting in any other primary, and and, and vice versa. If you're in a heavily Democratic uh, enrolled district and you're registered as an independent or you're registered as a Republican, you'd have to uh, make your intentions clear with the pre-registration process. There's def- different ways they, that it, it happens, but you just make your intention clear of which primary that you're gonna vote in and just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get our one person, one vote principle going. Sounds like it'd be a very complex process, but uh, you know, like I said, we don't know, you know, it could be good for good thing, it could not, you know, who knows what's what's happening right now. We, something has to, 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 to open up to let people participate more, whether it's keeping the system we've got and tweaking that or trying something new. You know, that's my concern, though, making things too convoluted because it's hard enough to get people to vote as it is and (laughs) low turnout throughout the country. And even for myself, I consider myself a high information voter. I research all the candidates. I'd be really into this stuff. But do I know everyone's platform who's running for office is even available sometimes? So for me to go in and start getting into ranked choice voting now, I got to try to find up to five candidates. I might not know what five candidates on this ballot even stand for, who they are. So that's tough. Even for someone like me who's out in the community and probably knows a lot of these people running. Imagine someone who's not, who's just voting, you know, they're just going to work, coming home, it's time to vote. They go to vote. How are they going to know who all these names are, what they stand for, and what does it mean to rank them? I mean, I had conversations with very intelligent people who didn't understand ranked choice voting last year, and they thought it was a system. It was like, you know, uh, the person you vote for number one gets five points, the person you vote for number two gets four points, and you add them all up that way, and that's not how it works. And, and that affects the way people vote also if they're confused with the system. So 
My concern generally is just disenfranchisement. When you make the system more and more complicated and convoluted, I think it could lead to people staying home, people getting frustrated, people not knowing how to vote properly, or people getting fed up with the results because we're used to a system in America where, for better or worse, the person with the most votes wins. But now if you start playing all these different games and saying we're going to eliminate this one and re-sign their votes and I do think it would be frustrating for me as a voter myself if the person I voted for got the most votes and lost the election. I would say absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Mike, because um, I was actually at a um, an 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 event when ranked choice folks ranked choice voting first was introduced, and it was an explainer event where. Uh, the person explaining it didn't even understand ranked choice voting. So a couple of questions came up and then after a while, they just kind of threw up their hands. Well, I don't really know either. And so, um, you know, that's that's entirely frustrating for po- folks that are just trying to to learn the initial system, much less a, a much, much more uh, complex system. But to the point, um, we're in the 21st century. And so when are our systems of voting and, and, and participation going to catch up with our technology? I mean, it's it's so simple. You know, we, we're able to do our banking online. We're able to pay our bills online. We're able to do so many things that largely happen in a secure fashion. And we can easily devote the time and resources to be able to have folks vote online, bring the system to the people, have the system go where the people are. So if it's, you know, creating, taking the time to create, you know, a digital infrastructure that's safe and secure and will allow people to vote from their homes, they can, you know, we we can have a system that we, again, we have ID systems, we have, um, you know, verification systems that we do, again, with our own personal stuff. So that way we, we, we verify our identity with different things. We should be able to expand our system, bring it into the 21st century. Folks should be able to vote from home. Folks should be able to be able to have a ballot that's a secure online ballot that puts a little blurb of what people stand for next to them. They can scroll over, highlight on the name. It has a drop down with, you know, one or two points because you know, I spoke to folks that, you know, went to the most recent primary with judges and they had no clue who there was. And if I'll be honest, some of the folks, I didn't even know who they were. And so you know, why not have an electronic system where you hover over the name and then like a couple of points of what they stand for drops down. But that's my call coming into the 21st century. How dare I say our system of government and our system of participation come into the 21st century. We should spend all of our money on so many other things, but uh, you, we, that we, should, we should be in the 21st century already. Well said, and it sounds like you're in campaign mode, so I want to segue into (laughs) your campaign. And I think here's a good segue to get us to that topic. When I was serving as council and legislative director in the state Senate, I received uh, a lot of phone calls leading up to the 2016 presidential primary. And these were Bernie Sanders supporters calling, asking for Governor Cuomo at the time to call for an emergency session of the legislature over the weekend to change New York laws to allow an open primary so that these independent Bernie supporters could vote for him for president. And I said to all of them, with all due respect, the senator that I represent is a Bernie Sanders delegate. He agrees with you, but there's no way in hell that Governor Cuomo is going to call an emergency session of the legislature over the weekend to change the law to allow people to vote for Bernie Sanders. It's not going to happen. 
Right, right, absolutely. I think this maybe speaks to the cynicism that a lot of us feel when it comes to the people that are kind of in charge or in power and the way they try to hold people back, sometimes fairly, sometimes not fairly. But I think you experienced some of that yourself, uh, maybe inadvertently by the powers that be, but you felt it in your campaign, right? Yeah, I, well, it, some of it was very advertent. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, back in uh, May of last year, actually, while uh, Governor Cuomo was still in office, I, without any political motivation, announced that I was running for governor of the state of New York. Again, the, the governor was still at the height of his powers when I was having my initial discussions about running. And so it wasn't about political opportunism, as some folks that kind of jumped in the race a little bit later had. This was about standing for something that was right, knowing that this was a very, at, at the point in which I was considering a very historic candidate back in January of 2021, no one would have thought that, you know, we'd have a, a, a governor who was at historic highs in approval rating coming from his handling of COVID-19 in 2020, disgracefully leaving off, off, office in August of last year. But, you know, it wasn't about any of that. I stood up in uh, on the steps of Queensborough Hall. And we said, we're trying to bring a new voice in politics. We're trying to bring a new perspective in politics. And not saying that there was anything terrible about what the governor was doing at the time. I actually think he was a very, very strong governor. He did a lot of really good things. Did I agree with everything that he did? Absolutely not. But there was a focus that I believe that needed to be placed on the middle class, on regular, ordinary, average New Yorkers that I don't think was happening, or at the very least, a strong campaign would get the governor at the time to be able to consider things. So fast forward a little bit later, where the governor then, uh, Governor Cuomo had to leave office and then uh, Governor uh, Hochul ascended to the office, there was a, a very strong fix to have her be the nominee. And we heard it uh, play out in the papers with the chair of the party, Jay Jacobs, and yeah, I'll call him out. Um, he basically told everyone to stand down. We don't want anyone running against her. We want her to be the nominee. And that alone by itself is anti-democratic. We want more voices to present before the people in closed or open primaries to give them an opportunity to choose between different uh, policy positions, different platforms. Let them be able to say what what stance or which person best represents uh, what my needs would be as a regular New Yorker. And so the first place that we saw a little bit of that fix, Mike, was at the Democratic convention that took place in February. So just a little brief story. The candidates were initially denied an opportunity to speak, but there were a number of state committee persons that said, no, it's that's anti-democratic. We have candidates for governor. They should be allowed to present in the convention and speak. So at the 11th hour, the chairperson you know, kind of came up with these different qualifications to be able to get the candidates to speak. Namely, they had to get 15 of the state committee members to sign a petition to uh, recognize you as official candidate and be able to speak. We were informed on the day that it was due at 4.45 that this is due at five o'clock um, on purpose because the, 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 the chairperson um, and their team didn't think that we, our candidacy could do it. Lo and behold, we actually did do it. We got the right, the right amount of committee persons. We submitted it on time. And lo and behold, the time came for us to address the committee. The other candidates 
uh, one of which Tom Swazi didn't actually submit what he was supposed to do on time. He was given an opportunity to speak. Jamani Williams was given an opportunity to speak. My candidacy was denied that opportunity to speak, having submitted what we were required to submit to be able to speak. And that was done intentionally because at that point, we were growing in the polls. We were we were polling at 5%, 6%. One of the Emerson College polls came out, had us at five, a couple of other polls had us at six. And Mike, this is coming from where only my mother in the state knew who I was. Um, and so we were growing very, very fast in the polls again. 5% in, in the Emerson poll, the, the congressman who was a whole Nassau County executive uh, for you know a number of years and a sitting congressman with $5 million in the bank, we were less than two percentage points away from him. And the sitting public advocate, he was actually at 9% in that particular poll. We were 4%, uh, four percentage po uh, points away from him. Unheard of coming from where we were, but we were building some strong momentum. And this is back in Feb February, mid-February. Oh, I have to ask real quick, yeah. what made you decide to start by running for governor? I mean, people will say, like you said, you're not known throughout the state. Most people would suggest starting for a smaller office or something like that. What made you think I'm going to start by running for governor out the gate? Yeah, this was to break down a narrative, Mike, because um, I've answered that question like a million times. And one of the things that I, I, I mentioned right away, if you have a, a, a billionaire CEO that comes and says, I want to run for president of the United States, or I want to run for mayor of the city of New York, or I want to run for governor of the state of New York. No one really kind of questions them. They're just a millionaire, billionaire. So, all right, go right ahead. Run for the highest office, having no experience in government, having no experience of how the legislature works, having no knowledge of the inner workings of government. But sure, go for the highest office. No one really kind of questions that. We kind of go with it. And a lot of times they end up winning the office. See Mike Bloomberg for the mayor of the city of New York. See Donald Trump for the highest office in the entire country. And then see many, many other examples throughout. But when a regular person that interestingly enough, has very uh, you know strong in-depth inner knowledge of the legislature, of government and how it works, and has worked in Congress, has worked in the judiciary, has worked in the state legislature in Albany for almost two decades. Uh, you know, the first question is, well, you're a regular guy. You can't, you, you can't do that. You, but um, mind you, you know, we have probably more experience than some of the some of the ones that have no experience in government, but they just they're just a rich person. And so it's a narrative that we've placed qualifications on our leaders that have ultimately shaped the path of these leaders. So what happens is we elect the one percent, they don't necessarily have a sense of urgency to fix the problems of the regular folks because they don't ultimately you know, have to deal with those things. So there's no urgency of getting crime wiped because they don't live in the high crime areas. I live five minutes away from one of the highest crime areas in the city. There's no sense of urgency of getting the educational system right because they're not sending their kids to those schools. And so, you know, the list goes on and on. So we were, we were breaking down this narrative of these are the check marks that people have to have in order to go for the most um, you know, powerful positions that really drive the conversation because regular people 
have the same skill set, have the same judgment, have the same ability to speak for their communities as wealthy people who no one really ever asked those questions to. I agree with you on that, but I think the reason why people look at the wealthy person as more viable is because they know the amount of money it takes to compete at that level. So there's a few ways typically you can reach that level. One is working your way up to government and kind of over the course of many years, building that campaign infrastructure, building that donor base, getting there, getting your name out there enough to be able to do it. Or you can kind of take a shortcut if you want to call that politically and just have a lot of money and basically self-finance a campaign. But either way, it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of organizational support. Um, you could buy it or you can earn it for the lack of a better term. But if you don't have either of those, uh, people look at you because based on how the system is as someone who doesn't have a good shot at winning at that level. Right. And, and, and interestingly enough, Mike, that you say that, oddly enough, the the inner folks look at money as a as a point of viability but when it comes to the broader general public they they look at the fact that a, a candidate has money as a qualification like a, a hidden qualification well you were successful in business so that will translate your your business successfulness will translate to success as an executive in the government realm, which right, that's that's, a that's, that's, a yeah, that's an absolute that's fallacy. fallacy. <laughs> that's an absolute fallacy. And so no one really questions the, the qualifications of this business person where in business, it's all about the bottom line. There's really right. no inclusion of the people aspect of it. So as long as, you know, the, 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 the books are on the up and up, they're doing their job, but right. it's not factoring in that people are going homeless. It's not factoring in that educational systems are not fair when you trans when you move from one zip code to the next zip code. And so the 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 money argument ultimately ends up being as a a qualifying factor. Well, this is a good qualification because we know that they have been successful. Not counting the fact that regular people who have been successful with managing budgets on their own, whether it comes to you know their own personal situations or it comes to displaying very, very good judgment. You know, this was an argument that they made back in 2008 when Senator when then Senator Barack Obama was running. Well, you're inexperienced, you're not really qualified. And he made the argument that it's about judgment. It's about being able to show that you have the temperament to lead, that you have the ability to identify and 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 connect with the voters to be able to know what their needs are so that was that was that that was it and and you've had less funded um campaigns in the past that can still have that infrastructure and still grow which we we, we actually did pretty well but some of the little things that they that the party did most of which you know were breaking the law um you know ended up ended up derailing us I want to talk about that. So your petitions, right? Uh -huh. You mailed them in to the Board of Elections. They arrived on the last day and should have been okay, but they denied you the ballot anyway, based on something that they did, right? They instructed right. the post office to what? Put the mail in a mail truck and then it got there late. By the time they went to the post office and your petition was already on the mail truck, but that was based on their own instruction, right? Right. So what So what happened is you're, you're, you're exactly right. Um, first, you know, they didn't, the, the, no one thought that, you know, the 15,000, um, you know, marker of what you need to actually get on a statewide ballot, no one thought that we could do it. You know, we had gotten realistically over 25,000 signatures, most in more than 
you know, most of the other candidates in both parties that ran more than Rob Astorino that ran on the Republican side and some of the other Republicans. And we were right in pace with a number of the other Democrats. We had Tom Swazing, we had uh, Jamani Williams, who we were right there in pace. They just had slightly more than us. And we had nowhere near the amount of funds they had, but we had a lot of energy from people all throughout the state. So what happened was there was a lot of press that Andrew Cuomo could possibly be uh, submitting petitions for getting ballot access. Again, having the party already voted uh, Governor Hochul as their uh, presumptive nominee, he would need the 15,000 like everyone else. So what happened was, and this came directly from the post office, the Board of Elections specifically told the post office, do not send our mail to the office, specifically during the week when petitions are due, when, knowing that the rule is that they're only counted as received when they get them in the office. So they deliberately said that the rule is when we get them, they're counted, but they changed it to have the post office say, well, we don't we, we, we don't want to get it here, which they don't do that, that they literally did that because the news article in the post said that Andrew Cuomo may be submitting his petitions by mail because he didn't show up on the Thursday. So they deliberately pointed the mail away from the Board of Election, specifically trying to block Andrew Cuomo because they all they could do is say that, oh, well, it never got here. But y'all directed the mail away from getting to the Board of Elections in the first place. So ours, ours where we had the receipts, we had everything that showed that the post office got it to the place it was supposed to on time. We spoke to a representative from the Board of Elections, and they acknowledged that it was there, that they saw it, that they were going to go get it. And we got a, and they said they were going to call us back. We called back a couple of times. They said, yeah, we're taking care of it. And then they never call us back and they deliberately held it. So that way it would arrive a day late. They did that on, they did that obstructionist on purpose. Wow. I think things like that, um, it was, we were speaking about uh, people being frustrated with the political system and, and whatnot. Things like that reinforce that idea that, you know, everything is messed up. There's no, why should I even participate? Right. Um, right. right. And, right. you know, I think that also helps candidates like yourself will come in without that that background of holding office and this and that because then people are like okay you know being that every guy so to speak kind of they can relate a little bit it's like okay you know we're looking at how these politicians are playing these games we don't like it we don't have alternatives you step in you're like i don't like it either i want to do something about that and so you can get some of that connection i think with them Absolutely. And that's that's why we saw the momentum just building in that same convention where we weren't allowed to speak. We still got two percent of the vote, which was more than what the Congress, the sitting congressman got and just a few percentage points less than what Jamani Williams got, both of who got a chance to speak. But we were they were able to look at our candidacy and see, well, this is this is something different. This is something new. And it was drawing amazing attention all throughout the state. We had an amazingly uh, uh, huge uh, 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 town hall event out in Niagara, New York, again, which is not too far from Buffalo. Folks came out, you know, people everywhere we were going were really gravitating towards this message and really holding on to it. We went to uh, Sotus, New York, with my, my uh, running mate, who was the mayor of that particular uh, city. 
you know, he switched registration parties to be able to register as a Democrat because he's like, wow, I really believe in this message and really believe that, you know, this is a time where we need a regular person to step up. But we had first-time people that were carrying petitions for us who had never participated in the system at all. Uh, one thing that the the, the 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 board of elections and 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 some of the other parts of the democratic machinery tried to do is, you know, uh, some of our petition petitioners submitted to change their party and they tried to uh, you know hold it where their their change of party was too late, even though they had receipts showing that they had submitted everything on time. These people were incredibly frustrated. Some folks collected thousands of signatures where they were excited that something new could possibly be on the way, but they did everything that they could and essentially shut our campaign down uh, by the end of March because we spent all of April and May, you know, back and forth in the courts. You know, we 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 joined forces with an uh, one of the other um, one of the other folks that had been fighting even some of the. Uh, the redistricting lines, we ultimately won that case, but they were saying it was too late to go back and do things again. So all aspects of the system that's controlled by party, which is why, again, I have no problem with open part, op open primaries, because the judges are, are, are elected and they were controlled by the party. So there was something that the judge did that I won't even go into that, but all well, of it's like... I actually made the argument that the petitions for governor should have been redone because they were based on congressional districts that were thrown out, right? You had to get signatures from half of the state's congressional districts. Absolutely. Districts were not valid districts. They were deemed unconstitutional by a judge. So wouldn't that invalidate all the petitions and necessitate a new petitioning period for governor? Absolutely. We we brought that we brought that argument in court. And again, the trial courts, they're, you know, essentially they're, 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 they're party folks. And, you know, we tried to 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 kind of, you know, kind of court shop a little bit to give ourselves a chance where it wasn't in front of a Democratic judge. But again, those the, the once once the party sp speaks, it's hard for a judge. Again, I, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt because I've worked in the court system, but the process is so heavily controlled by party leaders that if you kind of ruffle feathers, you could essentially be putting yourself on a blacklist and your career could end up stalling out of nowhere. But, you know, this, this is this just reinvigorated folks like myself and a lot of folks throughout the state that are really pushing for real change to happen on all levels and redoing parts of the system that allow for this type of control and manipulation of the system to block out just new voices. I knew Mike and Jay when I was running, you know, there's a, this was a long shot. The way I described it was, you know, I'm taking a shot at a basketball hoop from the other side of the court, turned around with the lights totally off and the hoop moving side to side. That was my chances of winning governor, but we understood what those chances were. But the process and the system should at least allow everyone to take a shot, even if it's a long shot, even if it's something that we know it's not about winning, because there's an important message. There's something important that the people need to see and be able to believe in. And so uh, I, I was I was a bit angry that the that the the the, the New Yorkers were were robbed of that opportunity to be able to you know to to, to cast a vote for something new, and 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 the chairman of the party knew what he was doing because we were gaining 
some serious momentum. Momentum enough to really make an upset, who knows, but definitely enough momentum to make a very strong impact on a race where typically speaking, you know, you still have those regular candidates that are all basically saying the same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, even a long shot or not, like you said, you should have the opportunity. People should have the opportunity and should be able to hear what you have to say. That's just part of having this participatory government that we have. And and you never know. I mean, no one would have thought uh, AOC was going to win the election that she wants. Obama was, should not have won that first election. Hillary was in every position to have that for herself. So, you know, you can. And um, even if you don't make it uh, to, to the final win, um, along the way, you could have exposed some, some weaknesses that Absolutely. the current politicians, um, you know, have left open, you know, and, and reminds me, some of this reminds me of the, the 2012 uh, campaign, Mike, with um, the congressional run that, that you did and that we worked on, where, um, you know, we did win in some areas, but what that did was the, the, the congressman had to recognize that those areas were weak and had to provide resources for those right. people after right. the election was over. Listen, he right. opened up an office at Auburn by the Sea after he lost the Rockwell. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at, and, and again, I was the only candidate that actually announced running against Andrew Cuomo. And again, not that I had any specific problem with Andrew Cuomo, but a lot of the folks that ended up running had Cuomo still been in the race, none of them would have been challenging him. Because one of the things that we saw with the previous two gubernatorial primaries, you saw uh, Zephyr Teachout move the governor a little bit more to the left, where, you know, he wasn't supporting things like him raising minimum wage, but that was a big talking point for campaigns. And so he moved a little bit to the left. We saw with Cynthia Nixon, again, I worked in the legislature right there with you, Mike, where we saw almost an empowerment of the independent democratic conference, whatever that was, <laughs> you know, basically empowering Republicans and stifling the agenda of Democrats. But all of a sudden, Cynthia Nixon comes and she's calling him out on that. And so all of a sudden he moves and it's, and, and, you know, Jeff Klein and the boys, they dissolve the independent democratic conference. And so those candidacies, while absolutely recognized as long shots, we all knew that Andrew Cuomo was going to win those. It still moved the conversation. It still shifted what was a very, very heavily kind of Republican-esque type of governor leadership. It moved it to the to, to the left, moved it closer to the people, moved it closer to a more realistic perspective of what the needs of the general public are. And so that was one of the goals that we had. Even if we don't win, the idea is to introduce a couple of things that may shift the ultimate representative in a direction that better reflects the people. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and it's like, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's like hip hop, man. It's just like hip hop. You know, politicians need to be on notice. You can be challenged at any time. That's right. You got to grab right. your mic and be ready to defend at any moment. You know, right. just do it. Next time, don't mail your petitions. Call me. I'll drive them to Albany for you. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> don't worry. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great tipper, I've heard, man. So you get a nice tip out of that. <laughs> there you go. And, and it's an, uh, you know, I do have to applaud you for that. Um, you know, it's 
it's an amazing undertaking. It's a big undertaking to to do a governor's race because you've got a state to cover. Yes. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily you know a few districts in your area and neighborhoods that's within driving distance. You know, within a few minutes, you've got a whole state to cover. And New York is not a small state; it's a pretty wide area. Yeah, the amount of miles I got on my car now, Jay, man, it was, it was like brand new, brand spanking new. And then now it's got all these hard miles going up. And, you know, a lot of this took place in the dead of winter. So, you know, we drove through snowstorms in Rochester. We drove through snowstorms in Canton, New York. But we were everywhere um, and, and everywhere we went. Folks were motivated and they were they were excited. They're like, wow, um, you're, you're running for governor. They felt like, man, this is. This is something that I can touch, I can reach. This is a person, as you said before, that we can relate to. Uh, but it was lots of fun. And, you know, you know, all of the evil and terribleness of the Democratic Party aside, again, I might even be considering my registration, but all of that aside, it was an amazing experience where we met amazing people. We built a network that no one even thought that we can build across the state. And they're, they're already like, get up. They're like, man, get this thing ready to go four years from now. Or if a special election happens because the governor or and or lieutenant governor um, ends up having to resign, you know, we're ready to go. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, there was still a lot of good that came out of it. And for me, it was an eye open experience because I knew politics was terrible. I knew it was dirty having worked in it. But to know the extent that the party is willing to go to to silence voices, that's something that was new to me. I, I, I didn't see that one coming. But at the same time, now we retool, we get stronger, we get better. And maybe we may start local. So some of these local folk may need to watch out, man. But um, you never, you, you, you never know. We got it once you once you get bit by the bug. Because I never in a million years really thought I'd be, you know, running for something. Folks have always told me, "Hey, Paul, maybe you should run for something." But um, hey, once you get bit by the bug, Jay, I don't know, man. We may, you know, we 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 may be calling on some folks from help from Japan, you know, to come on out here to help out, man. But you know, I think you it's know. A it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, um, and, and what you ultimately do is you're able to get out there and touch people. I think you know, a lot of times in these bigger campaigns and these people who are seasoned and they have this big war chest of money, they use money in place of personal contact, right? So, you know, right. you don't have that money. So you go to, you go to the doors, you talk to the That's people right. and, right. and I think there's a valuable experience there because you get to hear firsthand what their experience are experiences are and they get to be heard they get to feel being heard and i think that makes a really big difference right and on that subject paul we call this show nuance because we think that so much of the nuance is lost in today's conversation we right. believe that there's really a lot of common ground amongst all people but just the way we talk about things the messaging the discourse it you know, kind of keeps us separated but you got to campaign throughout the state so what would you say would be the one thing, let's say the, the biggest issue that you heard from people across the political spectrum and across different regions of the state? What is the one issue that most people were concerned about in your campaign? Yeah, the one issue was the complete erosion of the middle class. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that you heard because, you know, back in the 90s, the uh, the, the campaign manager, James Carville, for uh, Bill Clinton's campaign said it was the economy, stupid. And and. Although issues of crime have risen to the top, folks' pockets are being hurt 
all throughout the state. And Marcus Aurelius, who, uh, you know, one of the main protagonists from the Gladiator movie, uh, the real Marcus Aurelius said that poverty is the mother of crime. And so we're seeing crime go up because folks are poor. Folks are hurting economically. You're seeing people committing robberies. You're seeing people holding up bodegas. You see people stealing because they just do not have. Um, you know, so when we see all throughout the state, whether it was in the, you know, western portions of the state, the north tier, central New York, folks were hurting in their pockets and they felt like government was contributing to the erosion of the economic health of the middle class. And that was a, a, a phrase that we coined because we often talk about physical health where, you know, we got to get in the gym, get those biceps up and those triceps up and, you know, make sure we're keeping our diet properly. And then we've also heard about mental health, making sure that we're mentally stable and mentally fit and making sure that the issues that stem from that are curbed. But we don't really talk about the economic health of the residents of the state of New York, meaning are you financially stable to a place where it doesn't have a psychological impact, a stress level impact. You know, we know that the statistics have finances is like the number two cause of divorce all throughout the country. And so we heard that everywhere, that the middle class was hurting, the middle class was struggling, rents were getting high. Again, they're super high in New York. So that was without saying, but other places throughout the state, we're seeing just the rents and just the affordability of buying a home is becoming further and further out of the reach of people in regular situations. People that grew up in neighborhoods can no longer even afford to buy a home in the neighborhood that they grew up in. And so that was that was a constant criticism that we heard all throughout the state. And, and that was something that was a primary component of what we were talking about here. And so I had a feeling that that was the case before we even traveled the state, but we got that 100% confirmation. Well, Paul, I commend you for what you have done and what you are doing, keep at it. This is a marathon, not a sprint, as I'm sure you've heard, and yeah, yeah. hearing more from you in the future. We are almost out of time here, but I did want to talk about this one thing before we signed off, and that is uh, in local news, the sure. Rockaway Beach uh, today was closed after multiple shark sightings. And in fact, on Beach 67th Street, a surfer was in the ocean and said that a shark bumped into his surfboard. And so it's a concern. They're saying that they'll reopen the beaches once it's safe to do so. The governor is talking about more patrols on the sharks with drones and helicopters and boats to try to track their movements. But uh, it's become an issue. In fact, we didn't really have a whole question this week, but maybe that, that's a question we could put out there about if people are concerned about shark attacks now when they go into the water, does it stop them from getting into the water? Yeah, no, it's 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 a real issue. And, and for those that are still of the mind that uh, climate change is not a real thing, um, you know, we should be getting more evidence every single day that climate change is real. And unless we as people start looking at ways that we can shift our behavior and try, try to, you know, stem some of the ties that we've, we've already set in motion to be able to, you know, kind of counteract some of the, the, the climate change that we've seen, we're going to see more and more things like this. You know, I, I know you were there during a uh, superstorm standy where Again, a lot of these storms were once in a hundred year storms, but yet we were getting hit in Southeast Queens, you know, seemingly once every couple of years. And 
them in rising, devastating, uh, you know, quantities. We got hit by Hurricane Ida just over this uh, last uh, hurricane season. That was devastating. I went and saw some of the families that experienced loss. But, you know, the sharks and folks and, and, and storms, these are all byproducts of man-made activities that are, are creating different weather patterns. So sharks are just responding to, you know, you know where, where the climate change has taken them. And so if we're not careful, you know, we're going to have to be closing all the beaches here. We're going to be going to Coney Island or seeing, seeing stuff happen in Jones Beach and seeing stuff happening in Manhattan Beach. You know, pretty soon, you know, we've got Jamaica Bay we got to be careful about now. So um, all of these different things are going to end up being byproducts if we don't start curbing some of our behavior and really taking account that the things that we're going to be doing can have long-term effects on our environment. Or there were some gnarly waves and that, that shark was just trying to catch some waves. Catch the waves, man. That's and right. the surfer got in his way. The surfer was trying to jack his wave and he's like, no, bro, this is mine. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right, man. I was just trying to give you a high five, man, on the wave. <laughs> so I want yeah. to try to bite you. Do you have experience with sharks? I mean, Jay used to live in Hawaii growing up. Is that something? Was there a lot of concern for shark attacks in Hawaii? Uh, I don't recall them, and as much time as I spent on the waves, uh, I never saw any any sharks. Um, Wait, Jay, so, where haven't you? Which, where haven't you lived, Jay? Man, <laughs> <laughs> just in this conversation oh, about Japan, Florida, <laughs> Hawaii, <laughs> California, <laughs> New York. I've lived in every major region in the in the country. Um, <laughs> if not but, the world jay <laughs> yeah but yeah so like i haven't seen that i hadn't seen it i'm sure you know definitely there had been some that had taken place um you know i had seen people you know too many people on the waves and people tend to kind of bump into each other or something you know you kind of have to deal with that but um yeah i didn't see a lot in, in hawaii you know they happen but you know it's a scary thing you don't you don't want to be out there because you're out in their domain at that point <laughs> Sir. So. I mean, in all full transparency, Jaws was one of my favorite movie classics for the record. So I don't know if that has anything to do with that, but you know, full <sighs> full disclosure, I love the Jaws, the Jaws series. Full disclosure, I have not seen it. Oh, bet Jay. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of classic movies I have not seen. Godfather, oh. Heat, Jaws. Oh, no. Jay, Jay, what's happening here? <laughs> Yeah. So. All right. So let me make an attempt at this poll question here. Um, here we go. In light of the Rockaway Beach closure due to shark sightings, are you personally concerned about getting into the water because of the presence of sharks? See what people think. Yeah, I... I... All the time I lived in New York, I did not go in the water um, at the beach. I just I can't do it. Not a, New York has been a, a, a port for a couple hundred years. The water is just not clean enough for me to get in. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I won't go into the beach in New York. I won't do it. Wow. Can't do it. We're actually past our time here, which is always a good thing. Time flies when we have a good conversation. But a couple of weeks ago, we had Adam Clayton Powell on, and he was saying the bottom line is, and then he cut out right as he was saying that, and he left us hanging. <laughs> so we now leave it to you to tell us, Paul, what is the bottom line? 
the bottom line is we've got to be able to do things differently. If we do what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always got. And so the message that I always leave with folks is, you know, just radically take a time to do something different, do something new, do something you've never done before. Uh, we're radically approaching a very critical time in our in our state's history, in our country's history, in our world's history. And it's going to take courageous move. This wasn't easy for me to run for governor. And, and, and it was absolutely me coming way outside of my comfort zone. But hey, I wanted to see something different. And so I I feel, you know, it was time to do something different. So I challenge everyone, you know, whether it's in your own smallest circles, whether it's in a big circle, if you want to see something done differently, we got to do differently. And that's the bottom line. <laughs> I love it. Well said. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. And of course, we are on YouTube. So subscribe. It's Nuance with Mike Scala and Jay Carter. We're also available anywhere podcasts can be found. Apple, Spotify, and so forth. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jay. Great job, guys. Thanks All right. Until next time. Bye-bye.